It's that time again. Time to catch up with family. Time to share that home cooking that you've been craving. And yes, time to update your COVID vaccine. Updated vaccines that protect against the original COVID virus and Omicron. They're here just in time to make those family gatherings safer and extra special. Schedule your free vaccine today. Find updated COVID vaccines for everyone five and over at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. Happy Election Day. We hope that it is a happy day for you as uh, wherever you are, especially if you're in America, you get to play a critical role in helping us decide uh, what this country will look like going forward uh, through local, state, and federal uh, candidates and as uh, a variety of different policies and measures that are out there. We're so excited to have you here and are so honored that you are listening to us on Dear Asian Americans. It is episode 175, and our guest today is Joseph Jun, a lawyer-turned-director, most recently of an amazing documentary called Chosen, which chronicles the five Korean Americans that ran for Congress in 2020. My name is Jerry Wan, your host of Dear Asian Americans, along here with our editor and producer, Patrick Armstrong. Uh, Let's recap, Patrick, about last week. Um, We had a guest last week that a lot of people knew and a lot of people were excited for, and as as were we, um, and and so uh, obviously that was uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, and again, big thanks to her team and for everybody for making that possible. Um, how how was it for you after watching it? Um, I know you got to watch the video after the uh, audio aired. Um, any insights or any sort of feedback from from that? I think it's just a reaffirmation of I said it in when we at the back end of the of that episode, but just your rising to that moment. And I just, I feel like watching it after, after listening it and then just watching you be there physically in that moment, I felt like it really did just reinforce like everything that's led up to this point. And it got me again, excited for what can come from this. And I think that particular episode airing right before the election um, thinking about all the different ways that this show has made an impact on the community, especially from a from a rallying standpoint to like get people out to vote, to work on the census, to talk about why these things are important, to talk about to talk to other politicians um, who are stepping up for our community to try and make the changes that we're hoping to see. So I just felt like watching the video really made me think about all, all of these things and think about how far you've come how far the show has come and then really get excited about where everything's going to go from here thanks man i mean for me it's been really uh, so cool to see other people's reactions and again understanding what having her on our show uh, obviously i know what that meant for me and uh, for those of you who have listened grateful for your responses and in particular from our south asian friends what it meant for them to have kamala represent them on a on an asian american show and so that was cool. Um, and so we're following up on the theme of civil activity and, and civil duty uh, in, in the form of elections. And and so I, I've been wanting to talk to Joseph for a very long time. And so finally got a chance to talk to him. He is in Korea. Um, you'll, he'll share this a little, share uh, this bit a little bit more. But his uh, movie release, theatrical release in Korea, was just a few days after what happened in Itaewon. And so with the country in, in the morning and with sort of the, the dampened social mood, um, that presents yet another challenge for him to get his work out there. But I, I think it's really important 
um, as you are listening to us, whether it is on Tuesday or Wednesday, five Korean Americans, again, have run for Congress, uh, the same five that are featured in Chosen. You may know more about uh, the results of those races as you listen to us, but I think it's really important understanding how complex it is to to say that you represent the Korean American community. And, and we talk about that a lot and what it means to be, um, of course, in our situation, we're talking about being Korean across the world. Um, but whatever you are, whatever you identify as from an ethnic perspective, uh, just, the, just the vast diversity and richness of the experiences and identities that we 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 cover um, when we say that we are Korean or Korean American, and so big thanks to Joseph uh, in, in in the midst of a very very busy schedule, um, and he's traveled the entire world it seems to get this movie shown, and so uh, hopefully you get a chance to watch it. Um, it's tough to watch it in the states because it's not widely distributed yet, and so um, he'll share a uh, little, little bit later, and we'll share on our accounts as well ways that you can watch Chosen. Without further ado, I am so happy and proud to share now with you my conversation with director Joseph Jun. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dear Asian Americans, or welcome for the first time. I have a guest today that I've been wanting to interview for a very, very long time. I am proud to say he is one of the very few men in my life who have made me cry multiple times uh, <laughs> through his work. Um and, and you'll understand why as we talk to my dear friend, Joseph Jun, uh, director, a lawyer turned movie director, and who created two amazing documentaries capturing uh, a diverse array of Korean diaspora stories. Uh, the first one called Hieronimo, which tells the story of Koreans in Cuba. And more recently, one called Chosen, uh, which chronicles the story of the five Korean Americans who ran for Congress exactly two years ago uh, in the 2020 campaign as you if you're listening to this on uh, release day on November 8th, we are at the election day today here in 2022. And so we'll learn all about Joseph, how he got into filmmaking and what he's learned about how we, uh, the Asian American vote, and more particularly the Korean American community, uh, thinks about politics and at least from the eyes of the, uh, the candidates that he interviewed and chronicled. And so Joseph, welcome to the Asian Americans. Thanks for having me, Jerry. I've been wanting to be on your show and uh, it's it's quite a pressure to to follow up on uh, a Kamala Harris uh, podcast. You know, day. it's interesting because uh, we were so busy with trying to make that episode happen with Vice President Kamala Harris last week. And right. we have another um, uh, a long partnership uh, 10 episode series that we're doing uh, later in the year or to wrap up the year. And so we had this sort of two week gap and hmm. I, my, my focus was, let's get the VP episode done. Um, if you listen to it, you know, we traveled up to Seattle and did an in-person interview, which we rarely do. And so we we aired it, we recorded it, we aired it. And obviously people were starting to ask, like, how do you follow that up? Hmm. And I was like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how you follow that up, right? Because so I, you I think the you know, easy target. No, yeah. it's not the easy target, right? <laughs> because what well, we air the Kamala episode, we air the VP episode um, in conjunction with her office a week before the election last week on November 1st to obviously bring up interest and bring the focal point back into you should go vote, right? And right. and so right. as I was thinking about who in my world, who in our community uh, has, has done work related to uh, obviously campaigns or voting or, or candidates. Um, you know, some names come to mind, right? Like, uh, we'll talk about him today, but he's been on the show before. David Kim, who's running for Congress out here in uh, California 34. Uh, 
Congressman Andy Kim from New Jersey, and and he's been very vocal. And uh, there's B. Wynn in Georgia who's running, and all these people across the country of Asian American descent um, who are running for office. And you know, I thought something that we, you know, haven't really done. Um, and obviously, I, I love your movie, both of them, and, and the one in particular we'll talk about a lot today. Um, how about we talk to Joseph? Because two years ago, you spent significant time with uh, both the candidates, the Korean American candidates who ran for Congress five, uh, two years ago, and, and their teams, um, and then spent the next you know year and a half cutting it up. And uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate to see it, um, and I know that you've literally been traveling the world showcasing your work. And so I, I could not think of a, a better, more perfect person to to have this discussion on election day. Um, if you are listening to us in the morning, uh, fill out your ballots wherever you are. Drop it off at the ballot box. Go stand in line if you want to go vote. Um, it's not too late to go volunteer. Uh, call your favorite local person. Call uh, whoever needs help. Um, you know, particularly within our communities, there are elders who may need a ride to vote. There are people who may need just uh, just assistance in, in trying to figure out signs and where to go. Um, and so if you believe in the power of our democracy and, and believe that uh, it is critically important at this juncture for us to uh, state our voice, whether or not you live in an extremely red, blue, left, right state, it doesn't matter. Uh, we certainly encourage you to vote. And if you're listening to this um, in line to wait to vote, uh, tell the person in front of you and behind you to listen to our podcast because that's how we grow. <laughs> and then tell them to go watch Chosen. Um, uh, so tell us about the Joseph Jun story. How, how did you become Korean American? Um, when did you immigrate to the States and become uh, Joseph Jun? And you know, tell us about sort of when, where, and how uh, you came to be and how that impacted the way that you saw yourself in America. Sure. I... I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My dad was getting a degree there when he had me and my younger brother. And as soon as uh, my younger brother was born, uh, my dad uh, landed a job at a university in Korea. So he decided to move back. So that's when I was three and a half years old. I moved back to Korea. And from there on, until I turned 18, I, I lived as an average Joe literally speaking, in Korea as a regular Korean kid attending Korean regular school and, and all that. Um, my dad, being a professor at a university, uh, his sabbatical year fell on my senior year in high school. And so when I turned uh, ninth grader, uh, in Korean, uh, my dad gave me an ultimatum. He said, Joseph, you're born in the States, so you have a dual citizenship. Um, by Korean law, you have to renounce one citizenship and just keep the other. Uh, right now is the time for you to make that decision, right? <laughs> and here I am, you know, listening uh, to my dad, a 16-year-old kid, high school, first year, uh, a ninth grader, not really understanding the weight and significance of choosing a nationality. <laughs> I was uh, debating. I mean, it wasn't such a serious question at the time. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I was doing okay in Korean school. I, I had many friends. I was playing basketball at my high school. Um, I, I, There's no reason for me to sort of stay the course, right? Go to the Korean university, serve in the military, and just live as a Korean citizen. Um, but by virtue of having 
been born in the States, I, I also had an option to go to the States. And it was around this time, Jerry, I, I watched the film titled uh, The Dead Poet Society, uh, in which uh, Mr. Kitting, uh, played by Robin Williams, uh, utters the famous phrase, right? Carpe diem sees a day. And once I watched that and profoundly moved by the carpe diem sentiment, um, although I was doing okay in Korean school, I didn't enjoy its suffocating education system. I started imagining, you know, how my life would defer back in the States. So I made that decision to uh, go to the States, renounce my Korean citizenship. And as I was about to board on a plane to, to be back, um, something happened in Korea. I don't know if you remember, but that's right around when uh, Steve Yu, Yu Seung-jun, incident broke out. Yu Seung-jun, by the way, is a, this famous Korean singer, a Michael Jackson-like uh, Korean popular singer back in the day where he had a green card in the U.S., right? Um, and uh, and yet he, he showed his, expressed his desire to serve in the Korean military. That's why he was getting a nationwide sort of popularity. One day... He says, screw all that. I'm going to go back to the States and not serve in the military, uh, for which he was literally banned from entering Korea. <laughs> and I think up to this date, I mean, 20 years has passed, but um, I think he's still probably the most disliked person, male, Korean male, uh, ever to, to live there. And so, you know, me, tender years, my 17-year-old kid, watching how a guy who renounced his Korean citizenship to live in the States who didn't serve in the military was so disliked by basically every Korean male. Uh, and when I landed in the States, I, I started to think that, wow, I, I can no longer be an authentic, legitimate Korean male going forward. I, I need to somehow figure out uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it was a big deal for me, and I'm sure it was a big deal for anyone who who came to the states, were in similar conditions as I, as I, who renounced, who had to renounce Korean citizenship to be in the U.S. Uh, it, it, this idea haunted me for a long time, Jerry. Uh, I didn't know what it meant to to be American all of a sudden. I didn't know how I should cope with uh, basically giving up on this Korean identity, Korean nationality. And uh, and that's when my identity crisis began. That's incredible. I, I think, you know, um, I mean, the, the further context, I think, is many Korean Americans, uh, particularly men, uh, boys, that's obviously, I, I think if you are uh, born in Korea, raised in Korea, uh, the expectation is that you go to the military, right? You go to Kunde and uh, for adults, it's often even a part of their greeting. When did you serve? Where did you serve? Right. And who did you serve with? And, and that sort of puts um, the men in society sort of in, in, in a place, whatever place. Right. Whether you agree with that or not. Um, and, and so there's this sort of and, and I, for, for me, I think I've, I've learned that it is a, a um, we, we've learned that it is a form of gatekeeping, um, but sort of you're not a real Korean man unless you go to the army sort of business. Mm. Right. And so. Right. There, there are, um, you know, families who uh, strategically plan their immigration and, or their um, children's birth uh, so that they don't have to worry about that. Um, and, and for 
folks like me, in, in my case, we came here when I was eight. Um, you know, there's this sort of, you know, unless you earn your American citizenship uh, through the process, uh, even if you hold a green card, there is a real risk that you go to Korea to visit and that they have the right to uh, draft you in a way and to hold you and to force you into the military and, uh, you know, suspend your passport because with a green card in the States, you still technically are a Korean citizen. And so that, that that's sort of the context of, of what Joseph's talking about. It's this bigger than just one singer who said, screw it. It was sort of how dare you turn your back on the country that made you. And for for you to go through that at 17, man, that's tough. And then to feel like your whole identity as a Korean man, um, that that's tough. Um, so what was next for you after that? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. My, when I decided to go back to the States, a lot of my high school friends half jokingly, but also with hints of some seriousness, they, they started calling me Steve John <laughs> in reference to Steve Yu. Right. Um, obviously, you know, it wasn't anything serious where I was able to brush it off, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it had a real psychological impact on me. So when I landed in the States, I, I try to uh, try to be as Americanized, Americanized as possible, right? Whatever that means. Um, I wanted to be white. <laughs> I wanted to be as mainstream as possible because, um, you know, to me, that was, that was a surviving mechanism because I had no sort of country to return to. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but, you know, um, Seeing the the witnessing the the reaction against uh, Yoo Sung Jun at the time, Steve Yu really um, was a big deal. So, you know, I I try to make sense of what it means to be Korean outside of Korea, who didn't serve in the military. I, I try to make sense of what it means to be American, right? And um, you know, I, I think my approach at the time was quite binary, meaning. I was trying to place myself between these two spectrums of America and Korea as a country. Um, and so I, I stopped speaking Korean altogether for a good four, four or five years. I tried to only hang out with English-speaking Korean-American friends. Um, and it wasn't until I went to college and attended CASCON, Korean-American Students Conference. Uh, that year, it, it took place at UW. Um, 2005, and and walked into a seminar uh, that was led by none other than K.W. Lee, uh, who is this uh, legendary <laughs> Korean American journalist, um, who talked about basically the importance of 1992 LA riots slash civil unrising, and what it means for the collective Korean American identity, right? Um, it's funny because at the time I was studying film uh, in, in the undergrad at UC San Diego. I was carrying around camcorder uh, to film things interesting. And um, I, I, took out, I took out my camera because there was this harabaji, old grandpa, basically drop, uh, dropping F-bombs, yelling at us, you know, 19, 20-some-year-old kids who are spoiled and thinking that we're privileged they were studying in universities, and he was basically saying, "You spoiled brats, you think you're all that, you're nothing. You come from this humble beginning." Um, and then he started, you know, giving us detailed accounts of LA rats, 
and how our parents' generation had to to suffer through that to give you guys better opportunity. And it, it was such an emotional moment because, you know, this old man, 80-year-old guy was, was crying, you know, and he was cursing at us because he couldn't contain the, the kind of anger uh, and rage, right? But he had nothing but hopes for us, right? He had nothing but um, high expectations for us. But he really wanted to convey that message, and it really spoke to me. Um, I, I felt almost as if I became Korean-American listening to his, his speech at the time. I took out my camcorder, started filming him, and this uh, actually becomes the, the opening scene of Chosen. Um, so that opening scene, you know, is, is the moment in which I became Korean-American, right? Um, what K.W. Lee says about the importance of LA riots, he says, Korean immigrants, we're Korean immigrants before the riots, but we became Korean American after what had happened. Though, 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 just like the way the Japanese internment camp experience sort of defines and redefines the Japanese American experience, right? Um, it liberated me uh, from my identity crisis at the at the time because I, for the first time, I felt like, wow, this Korean American identity is something that's evolving, and I, I can contribute to that evolution and reconstruction of what it means to all of us collectively. Um, and so I, I really, really became liberated from this identity crisis at the time. But obviously, I'm happy to talk more about how that final destination actually ended up becoming something else. That's incredible. I, I did not know that you were actually personally filming the opening scene. I thought it was just, you know, archive footage from the many talks that um, KW gave. And um, I, I too was fortunate to have been in the audience many times when he spoke. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I will say he was probably single-handedly responsible for many of uh, our collective generation because we went to college around the same time of uh, starting to give a shit, right? Because I think it was, what is our duty to carry on the legacy if there's a grandfather yelling at us saying, it is my life's mission to get you guys to give a shit? And... <laughs> And, and I think yeah. it's really interesting, right? Because, you know, we're, we're going to talk about how, you know, five Korean American children, basically, of immigrants and, and other folks um, end up running for Congress in this country, which is incredible. It's never happened before. The, the privilege that I think we espoused um, partially came from the fact that many of our parents didn't want us to know about their pain and didn't even want us to know partially about what actually happened with the riots. And some of the things that they went through. I mean, for me, I've shared this plenty of times in the show. We immigrated to the States three months before LA riots. That fundamentally shifted or changed or uh, I've, I've unlearned a lot. But I learned so much negative things about other people, particularly black and brown people, through the lens of how that story was portrayed to me. And why we should be scared of them, why they're never good for us and why we shouldn't, you know, associate. And And so... Every Korean person in America or even back home, uh, again, if you're old enough, understands where you were, what you felt, and, and how that changed uh, two things, the way we saw ourselves in America and the way we saw others in America. Um, and so so all these seeds are planted, right, for you. Um, you, you have this uh, seminal experience of coming back um, to a place, I mean, my daughter's three and a half now, and so it's you know, picking her up today and going back to Korea, that would be a very difficult transition to begin with. 
and then to come back as, as an adult and to sort of go down this journey. Um, UC San Diego, relatively diverse campus, plenty of Asians and Koreans on campus um, here in California. And 2005, 17 years ago, you have this experience of of this identity shifting. Um, but you didn't immediately pursue filmmaking or storytelling or, or things like that. Um, what what path did you decide to take early on in your career, and 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 how did that end up sort of sparking this need to tell the Korean American story again? Yeah, so you know I, I was quite an impressionable twenty uh, two year old kid when I had that liberating experience uh, thanks to KW Lee, and right around that time I, I decided to actually um, stop my pursuit of filmmaking or film studies. And uh, uh, I wanted to go to law school because it was also around the same time where uh, Liberty North Korea link was, you know, becoming uh, widespread across the U.S. And and uh, the whole idea around, you know, human rights in North Korea was a big, big thing in, in back in our days, right? And um you know, comfort woman issue. I mean, I got really plugged into the whole like social justice concept um, in and around the Korean American community that reaches far uh, back to our motherland. So I, you know, instead of making short clips, and I was into documentary at the time too, rather than fiction, because I thought nonfiction <clears throat> is the best way to sort of convey. Um, the passion and conviction that I had on certain social issues. Um, but instead of working behind the camera, I, I thought maybe I can help legislate law. Maybe I can um, practice law and uh, bring, you know, justice to, you know, the systems or, or issues that, that are unjust. Uh, so, you know, and I also took on many leadership roles. Uh, in my senior year, uh, I decided to bring CASC on. Uh, to San Diego, UC San Diego, which is the first time in its 21-year history at the time, because CASCON was generally regarded as this sort of East Coast elitist, uh, the Korean-American uh, kids talking about identity and all these luxurious ideas. Um, but we wanted to bring bring it to Southern California, and uh, we hosted CASCON in uh, 2007, uh, which was also another turnaround in my life in terms of life experiences, the kind of connections that I made with, uh, you know, prominent Korean American leaders and so forth. Uh, we had KW Lee as a keynote. So it was sort of, you know, full uh, coming full circle moment. Um, and, you know, I thought I was on my way to sort of uh, solidifying my Korean American identity and serving the Korean community and all that. Uh, until I graduated from college and my first job actually ended up being a uh, uh, a videographer staff position at a university in Yanbian, China. Um, UST, the, the university call was, was, was called UST, Yanbian University of Science and Technology, which is founded by this Korean-American man um, with a mission to cultivate and educate uh, future leaders of Korean ethnic Chinese people in Yanbian region which shares its border with North Korea. And I went there because I was studying for the LSAT back home where my parents reside in South Korea. And this position opened up and I, I said, I want to be there. I want to experience 
summer other than the U.S. and Korea. So I went there and I started meeting, you know, befriending Korean ethnic Chinese people. They're called Chosanjo. And one of one of my closest friends, Ilsu, one day pulled me over and he said, Hey, Joseph, have you heard of this apple, uh, this fruit called apple pear? I said, what's apple pear? And he said, it's a genetically engineered fruit that's only uh, produced here in in our region. And I said, "Uh, no, I've never heard about it. And he said, us, the Korean ethnic Chinese people, we've traditionally and historically compared ourselves to apple pear. And I said, why is that? And this is what he said. He says, it's because we're neither fully apple nor fully pear. We're neither fully Korean nor fully Chinese. And when he told me that, I felt like that was the first time where uh, I realized that, wow, this sense of dual hybrid multi-identity crisis is not something that only me and my Korean-American friends go through. Anyone by virtue of living outside of their homeland has to struggle with this idea of what it means to be both Korean and Chinese, right? Um, And after that experience, I started backpacking across different parts of the world, thanks to mission trips, you know, short-term volunteer trips, internship, you name it. Um, I went to Germany and I got, I ran into Korean German community um, and whom told me about the same thing about their identity crisis, how they feel neither fully German nor fully Korean. Uh, I did an internship in Brazil, uh, got plugged into the Korean Brazilian community, um, South Africa. I got plugged into the Korean South African community, Middle Eastern, Eastern country. I went to Jordan. I, I got plugged into the Korean missionary community there. Um, and I travel whenever, wherever I travel, I always got exposed to, you know, young generation Korean diaspora. And little by little, the way I regarded myself um, became, went from being Korean when I was growing up in Korea to Korean American when I learned about the significance of LA rice and you know, familiarizing myself with the Korean American context to a member of the Korean diaspora. And when I use the term diaspora, I, I don't mean in any ethno-nationalistic sense. Uh, I actually mean uh, quite the contrary. It's uh, it's this um, uh, one one of the podcasts uh, I, I was listening to the other day. Um, uh, the host actually defined the term diaspora as an antithesis of uh, nationalism, that uh, the, the very idea of diaspora and being proud of uh, our identity, which is not grounded in uh, geography, but it's a commitment that we make to wherever we live with the kind of people that are like us, but also different from us. Um, so it's it's uh, it transcends sort of like a national geographic uh, commitment, right? I think people have publicly gotten to know, at least within our Korean American circles, for chosen foremost, and then for foes, uh, for those who were lucky enough to know you in your previous chapter, for for making Hieronimo, um, and I think it's critically important for at least me to understand this chapter where I, I think Korean Americans and Asian Americans broadly, um, many, many of our friends who come on this show and, and share their stories, 
we we wonder often how other folks who are ethnically the same as us but grow up not at home but in a different part of the world how they experience their identity right because i think you know when you're an asian american you also sort of adopt some of these um very um we're better than you american ideals and personalities at times or that our story is the only story perhaps um and, and i think you know i find that in myself too right like we go somewhere else and be like, why aren't they speaking English? And then it's like, dude, like <laughs> they shouldn't have to. And, and, and so I think sometimes we forget that there are Koreans in Germany, Koreans in Brazil. Um, many Koreans had to immigrate to South America in the 60s because they couldn't come to America straight. Um, right. And, and often wonder how much connectivity we have or how much similarity we have in our own experiences I, I do obviously believe that America is very different because it is not a country based on an ethnicity. Um, diversity is uh, more prevalent here. Uh, the idea of survival without the necessity of assimilation, I think, is the strongest in this country. Whereas you go to Germany, you have to speak German. You go to uh, Argentina, you must speak Portuguese to survive. You know, And, and so uh, I, I think those early experiences of yours uh, help at least me understand um, why you went down the path that you did. Um, because again, I, I think we've had folks, Asian folks from Australia on the show, from uh, Canada, from England. And they say like, can I come on your show? It's called Asian Americans. <laughs> and I say, look, <laughs> that, that was just my way of trying to be more inclusive, right? Because I primarily right. saw myself as a Korean American and I think while our experiences as Asian Americans are unique and, and special, um, there's so much resonance to how other people uh, experience their identities, particularly in even in a world where if you if you must assimilate to survive, then how do you juxtapose the dual? Because then you're just expected to change your name, speak the language, eat the food, which which I think you covered a lot in the, your first documentary, Hieronimo, right? Because we. Many, many Korean Cubans who are now third, fourth generation there, um, there wasn't an opportunity to stay insular in the community. They had to assimilate, right? And so they had to marry, you know, Cuban folks and, uh, you know, live in this very, very interesting dual, dual um, part of the process. Um, and so maybe we can talk about that. Um, you know, I, I encourage people um, uh, to watch Hieronimo. Um, Last I checked, it was on Amazon Prime. Is that still the case? Uh, so Amazon Prime dropped uh, most of its nonfiction films, uh, independent nonfiction oh. films. Um, but it's still watchable via Vimeo or Roku TV, uh, okay. which is in association with uh, Amazon TV. So if you yeah log into Amazon, uh, type in Heronimo there, you can watch it through Roku Okay, yeah, wonderful. That's my we'll, put that, we'll put those but, instructions links in, in, in the show notes. For sure. Uh, I mean, just, but going off of that, um, Jerry, I, um, fortunate, maybe fortunate is the right word. Uh, wherever I travel to for work or volunteer or just to, to goof around, uh, I had the opportunity to interact with young generation Korean diaspora from many different countries. So back in 2015, this is when, uh, when I was practicing an uh, attorney and I was working at a Korean government agency based in Manhattan. 
which is not necessarily what I had imagined going to law school, that I would be working for a Korean government. <laughs> but it just happened that way. And I'm happy to elaborate that uh, later as to why that happened. And, you know, I mean, to make it short, I, I, go to, I didn't go to Harvard. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and it's not a self-deprecating way. It's just some telling story in, in a very honest fashion. And, uh, you know, as much as I wanted to work for legal aids or nonprofits, I just couldn't land a job. And the only opening that I saw was happening in a Korean government agency. And I applied and I got that job. So I, I started working in my third year in, in, as a lawyer. I decided to travel to Cuba uh, for fun. It was end of year trip. I just wanted to go there, drink rum, right, smoke cigar, go to the beach uh, by myself and just have fun. But, uh, you know, things changed when my tax driver out of the airport happened to be a fourth generation Korean Cuban. And she told me that her grandpa was sold as indentured servant 100 years ago to Mexico and that her father fought in the Cuban Revolution with Che Guevara and Fidel Castro. And, you know, Jerry, had I not been someone who's interested in this idea of diaspora, I think I would have probably passed on that opportunity and just went on with my fun adventure. But for me, when she revealed to me that she's probably one of the least known members of a Korean diaspora in Cuba. Uh, I felt like that was another sort of liberating moment, right? Um, that they can unlock this mystery around the concept of diaspora, in particular, the Korean diaspora. So uh, I, I felt like I was, you know, it was a signal from God almost. And uh, I decided to go back and, and film them. So I went back to Cuba five more times. Uh, initially thinking that I'm going to create a 20-minute YouTube clip, which in fact turned out to be a three-year filmmaking journey. And somewhere in the midst, I quit my lawyer job because I thought only one year sabbatical year would be sufficient for me to finish and come back to practicing law, which never happened. Um, so there it is. Um, Heronimo was born. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it was released in Korean theaters in 2019. Uh, November, and uh, it's watchable in the uh, in Vimeo and back in the U.S. because I I didn't find the proper sort of distribution channel back home. And uh, yeah, and to, to finish off that journey, you're right. I mean, uh, Jerry, I think um, a lot of my Korean American friends generally uh, stop, and you know I don't want to speak on their behalf and I don't want to generalize it too much, but, uh, generally, you know, when Americans just, I guess, you know, mainstream white Americans ask us who we are or where we're, where we're from, we would initially say like, I'm from Flirton, I'm from New York city, but they say, what's your ethnicity? Then we would probably go say we're Korean American. We're of Korean descent. Right. Um, but you know, and that's how I used to sort of define myself is that I'm Korean American. But the more I travel and started meeting different members of Korean diaspora, I started regarding myself more than just Korean American or Asian American, that I'm part of this larger diasporic group, right? And um, whenever I still to this day, I meet Koreans from Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan or Brazil, I, I have this immediate affinity because I want to learn about how they define their own identity 
and what are some of the LA riots kind of moment in their collective history that uh, that necessitated their complete assimilation or localization to their local culture. Um, because every Korean diaspora has those moments. Every diaspora has Haigu moment where they were initially Korean immigrants, but they became Korean Japanese, Korean Chinese, Korean Uzbek, Korean Kazakh, and so forth. And I, I found that to be fascinating. Yeah. I, I think for, for me, at least, you know, I, the, the notion of identifying as a Korean American, um, I, I think is for, for many, almost a survival mechanism uh, to be seen by uh, white Americans or other Americans as I'm one of you. I just happen to be ethnically Korean because I, I think when you identify as simply Korean, um, it, it, it connotes both um, ethnicity and nationality. And be, because that conversation explanation is uh, one that's annoying to have and perhaps unnecessary to explain, like, there are two different things called country and ethnicity. Um, right. To say like I'm Korean American just means like, hey, like I am American of Korean descent. And, and mm. but I, I think you know, particularly having seen um, when when I saw Hieronimo, um, it was just, I mean, one, I cried my eyes out because I think you you feel the the indescribable word that we know as Han. We're just like, I feel their pain, and that could have been me, and. There's this theme throughout uh, that movie, which is when the Korean Cubans went to Cuba, there was one Korea. And for them, there's always one Korea. There will always be one Korea. For, for us, born in the 80s, grandchildren of the full, you know, our grandparents who fought in the war, the only Korea we've known is a split Korea. And take any other country who's been through civil war and other other wars, you, you might have similar stories to talk about, right? Obviously, uh, Joseph and I are, are both Korean and this is what we're, this is our you know family history as well. Like, and, and so to hear that, I, I think is, to, to hear about their stories and how I thought I was a pretty good Korean <laughs> in a way of understanding my culture and, and values and history to an extent and, and all these things, and it just kind of, you know, hits you in the face. You go, you don't know anything about what it means to be Korean. And and it's in that moment, too, that I realized, hey, I actually may not know, ever know. And it's beautiful to think that um, I am, I actually became more proud to be Korean after watching Hieronimo than I think a lot of things that have happened in my adult life, because it empowered me to understand that we are greater than the American, the Korean American experiences that I was limiting myself to. Because when I think about my identity, I just bifurcate and I think about my cousins who never left Korea and then me and you go, okay, I'm Korean American and they're Korean and how do our lives differ? And, and you don't think about all these different nodes of different um, things that have happened. Um, and so I, I think that's, you know, really, really fascinating. I, folks, if, if you can, and we'll put... The, the links to the Vimeo and wherever you can watch uh, Hieronimo. Um, it's it's f just fascinating. And uh, for, for history buffs, even um, the, the connection of a Korean person um, impacting and affecting Cuban culture and politics and therefore global culture and politics, I, I think is 
uh, just just astounding. Um, you know, tomorrow, after all, is is elect or today um, is is election day here in the states. And again, we have five Korean Americans running for Congress, the same five that ran two years ago. Four are running as incumbents. One, the same one who lost two years ago, our dear friend David Kim, uh, is running again in the same district against the same incumbent opponent. Um, we we hope that by the time you listen to this, um, or maybe later in the week, um, you can hear this with the context of good news. Joseph and I have no idea what's going to happen um, tomorrow uh, or whenever. Um, but wh- where did that idea spark? Because I think there were rumblings of, wow, this cultural significance of five Koreans running for Congress and three are Democrat, two are Republican. Um, you know, I, I I think growing up in Southern California, like I knew of the two that were running here. Uh, Marilyn Strickland was somebody who was new to my world. Obviously, Andy Kim from Jersey, same as well. Nobody knew who the hell David Kim was. Um, you know, uh, my friendship started with me watching an Instagram ad saying like, there's a Korean guy who just like, is about my age who just thinks he can just run for Congress. Like what the hell? <laughs> um, af- after the experience of Geronimo, um, you sort of double down on this identity as a filmmaker um, and, and venture down this path. Um, hmm. I'm very curious to know what was the moment that you thought to go, uh, capture these five stories that eventually became one story in Chosen? My uh, initial impetus of why I wanted to make Chosen comes, surprisingly, Jerry, not from uh, this call for the need for representation of API or Korean Americans, but rather it comes from uh, this question of what can members of Korean diaspora uh, potentially do for the peace process in the motherland. And I wanted to differentiate these two two notions because, um, you know, when I, because throughout making of Heronimo, my first film about Korean Cubans, I really wanted to delve deeply into what it means to have a diasporic identity. I I just want to quickly quote, uh, an interview from the Jewish rabbi, the reformed uh, Jewish rabbi who appears in Heronimo, who tells us that, you know, the, the beginning of diaspora, the heart of diaspora is pain. It's the pain of our parents or ancestors having to leave their homeland. It's the pain of having to adjust into a new environment. It's the pain of having to sort of assimilate and, and cultivate this new identity. But what comes out of that pain is, the sense of innovation, the sense of creativity, this idea of hybridity and diversity, that we can expand what was otherwise a fixated singular identity into so many different things. Um, For me, hence the idea of being a diaspora is not only, of course, the first and foremost, the commitment to where you live, but also uh, if there's some extra wiggle room, uh, also thinking about what role can we play to bring peace to the Korean Peninsula. So I, I talk about this because I was reading John Bolton's book uh, right after the pandemic in 2020, in which John Bolton basically talks about uh, why the peace process 
between Kim Jong-un and Trump failed. And he gives three reasons. He says it's because of Pompeo and Trump and Bolton's impulsive decision, their self-interest and ideological differences that led to the failure of the Hanoi summit. When I was reading those lines, as someone who has a vested interest in the, the Korean peace process, I, I, I thought to myself, wow, literally three American politicians uh, can uh, dictate the fate of an entire region. Right? Mm. And I started hypothesizing, what if uh, they were occupied by Korean Americans, or at least they had personal relationship to the region? And it's right around then when I read a newspaper saying that there are five Korean Americans running for U.S. Congress, which has never been done before, right? Um, Up until 2018, there was only one uh, U.S. Congress of Korean descent. That's uh, Jay Kim, right, Um, who was elected in 1992. But ever since, there's only one, uh, which was Andy Kim in 2018. So... Um, initially, yeah, my my desire to film them was to see if these people can play any role in bringing peace to the Korean Peninsula. But obviously, when I started filming them, uh, my uh, uh, the direction pivoted because a lot of the questions that I had about our own community, about you know the need for political representation, what it means to be of Korean descent uh, on the politically right and politically left? Uh, How can they collaborate? And what are some of the common causes that we work for? And what are some of the opposite causes that we work against, right? Um, All those things uh, became of interest and um, uh, the final outcome of Chosen uh, ended up containing all those questions. I mean, first of all, um, thank you for creating this because I think once you see it, and I, I want to continue to sort of uh, drive this point. I think in, in our situation, it was important to capture this story. Um, but it actually, for me, I believe is important for all Asian Americans to watch it because one, I think all of our communities can do this. That one, I, I think we all of our communities need to do this. And, and what I found most fascinating about the the documentary, which uh, ends up focusing uh, quite significantly on uh, David, uh, the one who was the newcomer, the outsider, and, um, you know, just for whatever reason, uh, unrelated to your, your your storytelling, the one who's currently not in Congress, um, um, mm-hmm. was this sort of wide gap of the way mm-hmm. we see the world, even though all of us have experienced very similar yet unique Korean American stories and Asian American experiences, right? You, you, mm. you use Taigu or the LA riots as a pivotal uh, storytelling uh, anchor in sort of how we see the world and how that activated Korean American activism politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, 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 uh, for all intents and purposes, um, whether it was the candidates themselves or the parents had experienced LA riots in a very different way and many will say that shifted the way that we saw ourselves in American society. And so mm. when we think about the complexity of the Korean diaspora, boiled down to the Korean American experience, boiled down mm. to a singular event that was so important for us to understand how we see each other in the world, and then mm. to have people that are at the opposite ends of the sociopolitical spectrum 
basically campaigning and, and saying similar things that the way that I see America and the way that I see solutions are best for our Korean American community. I, I think, you know, um, if you listen to the show for uh, anything longer than this episode, uh, you know how I generally feel about the world and, and politics. Um, and I think Joseph and I agree on many things. Um, but it was just really interesting, I, I think, trying to withhold judgment and trying to uh, bite my tongue as I'm watching this because it does get you emotional to think, how can we be so similar? How can we have such shared experiences and, and think so differently to the point that we're running these campaigns and trying to raise money to go get votes so that we can go to the U.S. Congress, which for immigrants is part of this once thought to be unattainable dream because many of our parents saw ourselves as outsiders of this American ecosystem. Um, you had a front row seat to that. Um, what were your thoughts going in? Did you have any, I mean, you're a filmmaker, but you're also a human, right? And so like, how did you balance the objectivity versus your own perspectives going into it? And and did going through that and having the conversations with the candidates themselves at the time uh, help you shift the way that you saw our community in, in light of different uh, political belief systems? I was reading this one book quite recently, and um, the author basically argues that uh, the strongest pull that brings people together or divide people uh, is actually ideology over ethnic common heritage, right? Um, the case in point is the Korean Peninsula, right? We're same people, uh, arguably same history. Uh, we both fought against the Japanese colonialism, but now the country remains divided after 80 years, right? Because of different ideology. Um, ideology is, is an diff- interesting, interesting concept, right? Because as you pointed out, Jerry, uh, you know, both all five candidates went through LA riots together, right? And they all felt the, the urge to have political and social representation, in the U.S., yet um, the outcome of that political leadership uh, manifests itself extremely differently in terms of ideological spectrum, right? Um, well, Jerry, I, I the last thing I wanted um, after making chosen was to create further division. Um, I. At the end of the day, I, I really wanted to humanize every single character because it was my attempt to sort of understand where they come from. And I'm talking about some people who are, you know, it's safe to say they are they hold far right beliefs among some of the candidates. And um, it's also, you know, I think fair to say that David Kim holds a fairly pretty progressive ideals. And it it cannot be more different, right? Um, but one of the guiding principles of why I wanted to make was chosen was to to question how can we still peacefully coexist amidst our differences. What are some some of the unifying points that can still bring us together? So at the end of the movie, this is not a spoiler, but you know all the the four elected. Korean Congress people, they end up uh, voting to pass 
the anti-Asian hate crimes bill, right? So there are moments in which we can uh, still come together and work for the same cause. But there are also other times uh, where our, our worldview cannot be more different. And it's, it's difficult because I think, I mean, you know, I'm happy to elaborate on this, but, you know, the, the role that evangelical fundamentalist sort of Christian worldview plays in their political sort of affiliation, I think is huge. I think their religious beliefs significantly dictates um, their their political positions. And um, without making any moral judgment, um, I think it can be problematic sometimes. Then let, let's, I mean, one, Joseph, I, I love talking to you. And anytime I talk to you, um, I, I learn so much. Um, much as much as I learn tactical things about our community and our our people globally, um, I, I think the way that you, first of all, view and process very complex situations and conflict at times, um, I, I learned so much because I think it has been so, uh, dare I say, easy uh, to pick a side and to put our blinders on and saying, if you don't believe with me, then if you don't believe what I believe, then you're a bad person. Or, you know, I can't agree with you on one thing, and therefore we probably don't have a lot in common. I think it's been so hard um, to to step back and to um, try to see issues and people in the world with a little bit more objectivity. Um, as much as we want to, I, I think it's just incredibly hard to do that. And um, particularly when it comes to um, politics and American bipartisan politics ahead of election day, it's, it, it's easy to fall into that. And so I just want to, um, commend you. And, and obviously, you know, how I feel like, just thank you for sharing this story that I think is so hard to tell, um, because it is also ridiculously difficult to find somebody with your skills of filmmaking, but also how you see the world to tell this story without picking aside and, um, just blatantly telling one side of the story, right? Even though you and I both would agree that it is, um, you know, uh, through through the movie and through our, our, it's pretty easy to understand where we see or you know what what, what side of the the aisle that we uh, might more agree with. Um, what what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Or, I mean, we'll, we'll watch a movie that's at ninety minutes long, but for you, it was a months long process. Uh, a years long process in editing and making sure that we got to see a cut of the film that you were definitely proud of. Um, what lessons can you share, if at all, about how we have more moments of unity and how we have more conversations that are productive? Um, you you mentioned political ideology being stronger than uh, culture or heritage. Um, the undertone of the the differences of opinion, let's say, is also intergenerational. Um, you know, the the two women who are congress folk, congresswomen from Orange County are uh, are perhaps our parents' generation or are closer to them. Um, David, obviously, much younger. Uh, Marilyn and, and Andy grew up in different parts of the country where perhaps they got to see the world a little bit differently, but. Um, Many of our listeners might have, whether you're Korean or not, have some challenges 
having difficult conversations with our own parents about how they see the world and what sort of world we want to create for their grandkids. Um, I struggle with that um, a lot. And so I've just decided, hey, maybe this is a topic that we don't talk about um, uh, at, at home or with our with our parents. It, it is difficult. And I wonder from from the seats that you've had and from the conversations you've had, if, if you have discovered any uh, perspectives or enlightened moments of maybe this is how we come together on things. My goodness, Jerry, that's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was pointed out by some scholars who, in social science that you know every immigrant family the, the the gap between the first generation and the second is always the largest, right? Mm. That gap tends to shrink over next generations, um, and understandably so. Right, Jerry, like when uh, our parents first came to the States uh, in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, I think, you know, Korea was not a cool place to, to associate ourselves with necessarily, right? It was barely reeling out of the war, and we were still at the height of the ideological Cold War division. South Korea was under dictatorship until late 90s, right? Um, we we're economically poor. So I think, you know, even if I happened to be one of those early immigrants, I would have wanted my kids to, to assimilate as much as possible, not speak Korean, um, and just be as mainstream American as possible. Uh, we're seeing the outcome of that mantra. A lot of my Korean American friends don't speak Korean, um, let alone, I mean, they, they were shameful of identifying themselves as Korean in early teenage years. Um, but I see an interesting shift. The same friends that had a baggage uh, about being Korean now are marrying another Korean or other Asian woman, and, and they're sending their kids to Korean language school. So this is a, quite a dramatic change over a generation. Um, the only point... Uh, I want to pound on is this idea of diasporic identity um, because it's a concept that really liberated me. And, you know, diasporic identity, I think, really transcends uh, this bifurcation of uh, am I Korean or am I American? What does it mean to be Korean American? I think uh, diasporic identity allows us to sort of be more inclusive and appreciate diversity. But I don't want to sound cliche. There's this one uh, French theologian that I started quoting a lot in my presentations lately. His name is uh, uh, Victor Hugh Saint, Saint Victor Hugh, uh, who's a 12th century French theologian. And this is what he says. He says, those who find their homeland sweet is still a beginner. Those who travel to any place and find as if it's their home, is a cosmopolitan, but that person is still mildly mature. But the most, the most mature is those who go anywhere around the world and find the place foreign. Because uh, mm -hmm. this, this idea of having a diasporic identity and feeling foreign uh, is existentially and philosophically is actually not a bad thing to have. Uh, having this critical distance um, to the place where you belong and having 
because basically he's saying that any person of minority or a foreigner uh, is able to exercise hospitality because they are themselves minority. They can acknowledge people of other uh, minority backgrounds and they, they have this capability of seeing them to recognize them. And hence, they're better equipped to practice and exercise hospitality towards other strangers. Um, obviously, we have to continue to fight for our representation in the States as Asian Americans. I think it's in light of the API hate crimes, I think there's a, a moment of reckoning, right? We're awaking to this reality that we're still being considered as foreigners. Obviously, we have to build coalition and solidarity to, to fight for our equality in the States. But, you know, purely from existential perspective and in terms of sort of uh, self-reflection and, and philosophical contemplation, I think um, this idea of us being diaspora is not such a bad thing. And um, I think Heronimo is someone who figured out what it means to be both not only Cuban and Korean, but more more than that, who transcends uh, this fixated identities and I think he was able to achieve that because uh, he had this critical distance to the things around him. Yeah. I really think that you've embarked on um, what many would consider uh, an impossible task uh, to tell the complex story, breaking all the myths of us being called monoliths. Um, you know, and, and I think people walk away um, inspired, perhaps upset, uh, but ultimately, I, I think, with an open mind to reconsider how we talk about ourselves and our communities. Um, in, in the grand scheme of the 23, 24 million Asians who live in the States, uh, you chose to tell the story of five people that represent a portion of that community uh, to the tune of about 2 million currently Korean Americans in the States. And just the vast differences of uh, people's experiences, how they see the world and how they view themselves as a part of the solution to make America uh, better, however they define that. I, I, I think it, it, it gives us hope in a way uh, to understand that uh, we have much more work to do, but that there are those of us willing to do the work. Um, Again, I, this is not, you know, a, a partisan film. Although, uh, it, I, I also share this at the screening that you first did in LA. It, it feels very much like a David Kim Height film. Um, <laughs> ma ma many people walk out of it uh, pulling yeah. for the guy and and falling in love with David because he's so yeah. uh, genuine and just so authentic in the way that he believes in his ideals. And um, right, right. Uh, we're we're rooting for David, uh, particularly yeah. tomorrow and. Um, you know, and, and the other part too, I think is, um, I, I wonder, and, and I know because you filmed this during the pandemic, which is also another very, very challenging thing that you had to deal with and not all five candidates actually filmed at the same time. Um, I, I wonder how they feel about how special it was to be a part of this journey, because when you're trying to win your congressional seat to represent your district to do right by your immediate community, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what the grander perhaps significance is, is that in 2020, five Koreans ran. And hopefully this becomes a commonplace thing 
and it becomes the first time that five Koreans ran and will always have many of us running to represent a variety of local state and federal positions. Um, but, uh, share with us if you can, uh, you know, the, the film is now out in Korea. And so if we have friends in Korea, please encourage them to go see it. Uh, you have literally traveled the country, uh, following your Instagram, make me, made me feel like I didn't travel enough, even though no, I, I am on the road true. quite a bit. Um, <laughs> and then you have literally traveled the country sharing this film. Um, what, what, are there memorable feedback moments from the five candidates themselves? And what other memorable feedback points do you have? Because you've, you've uh, showcased this film in cities large and small, in rural parts of the country, and in many, many states. And so curious to hear what you have heard uh, after people view it. Yeah, Jerry, uh, you know, perhaps I was being a bit of cocky storyteller when I finished making this film around April, May of this year. And, you know, I didn't presume that it would be difficult for me to sell this to a distributor. I thought it was, uh, you know, we did our best to, to tell a, to make a presentable package. And um, after pre-screening to our targeted audiences, we became confident that you know, this is a story that is much needed, not only within the KA or AAPI community, but in the larger America. Um, through our mutual friend, uh, Daniel Day Kim, I uh, had a chance to watch this film and he said he liked it so much so that he wanted to represent us as we negotiate with Netflix, Amazon, Disney, and Apple. Um, to make the long story short, after four months of hard negotiation, every deal failed, right? And uh, and now we're back to square one because no, there's no one who was willing to distribute Chosen. Uh, I took it upon myself to, to travel to every single college or communities. So prior to landing in Korea two weeks ago for a theatrical release here, yeah, I had a 45 screenings across 30 different cities, um, 15 of which were college campuses. And I have a lot more requests uh, coming up throughout December and January of next year. Um, and yeah, memorable moments. Uh, you know, I had multiple occasions where uh, young, relatively young, maybe college or young professionals, even high schoolers would um, initially come because their friends asked them or their moms dragged them and they were sitting reluctantly, you know, waiting, waiting for it to end. But telling me afterwards that they felt like they were seen for the first time on the big screen. They felt like their family story was being told uh, in an authentic and non-scripted way for the first time. And, you know, those comments always serve as a validating uh, moment for me. I've had... Uh, a number of Korean elder seniors walk up to me after the Q&A and they would generally preface by saying, hey, I'm a Republican. <laughs> I go to church all my life and I may not necessarily agree with some of the policies that your protagonists advocate for. But um, after watching your film, I decided to donate to your protagonists because I, I saw humanity beyond the, the political stripes, right? Um, so, yeah, those moments are always 
you know, a validating moment. Uh, because, you know, the U.S. distribution didn't necessarily work out this time, I found a good distributor in Korea. And we're conducting this interview as I'm sitting here at my parents' home in South Korea, where we had a theatrical release just last week. Uh, unfortunately, it coincided with the Itaewon tragedy. So um, purely from the, the exposure and, and sales perspective, it's, it, it couldn't be worse, right? But nevertheless, um, we're getting really positive feedback from critics and audiences alike because um, their common sort of feedback being uh, we, get to, we got to see the, the reality of the Korean Americans for the first time. Right, because their understanding of Korean Americans were often very skewed and biased, because they think that we are privileged, that we went to achieve our American dream, and that we we wouldn't have to struggle with these um, plight. Right, but um, it the film proved them otherwise. So you know, anytime getting those feedback, always uh, yeah, I, I appreciate greatly. I think it's. Um poetic that at this point in your um career your storytelling career that i i personally think it's just at the beginning um you physically being back in korea the place that's been the uh, place that has that began sort of your complex identity journey of what it means to be korean in your extremely korean american adulthood where you grew and learned with legends like kw and um, I'm still shocked we didn't meet back in college because we overlap quite a bit in in time and social circles. Um, and and for 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 you to be in Korea at this moment, for for all the the, the good and the challenging aspects of of the chosen story, Joseph, for you to be back home, uh, telling our family or extended uh, nation back home what it means to be Korean American, and trying to be a Korean American congressman, which in, in, in and of itself makes everybody back home so happy and so proud, but also going into the nuances of it's not that simple to simply to say that we have five, right? I mean, you have a, a mixed race black Korean person, and that's a complicated thing. You have a gay son of a pastor, and that's a complicated thing socially in Korea still. And, and, and and that's the one you're supposed to fall in love with, and 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 I hope, um, as challenging as it has been for us, um, as it continues to be divisive and economically challenging, and um, if you pay attention to politics in Asia and Korea, it's it's much of the same. Um, to 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 find uh, humanity through your story, to find common ground, and uh, to to find hope, uh, to understand that. We all just want to do right by our parents and our ancestors who gave us this opportunity and to create a path that is a little less bumpy for our kids. Um, and, and how we define that, I think, is where we find um, ourselves at odds at times. But um, you have such a gift of, of storytelling, and uh, I, I am so honored to call you a friend and, and a brother in this journey. It's been uh, really magical to to get a uh, a seat in, in your journey. Um, and I know we've had many, many conversations offline about the challenges of, of me and you both trying to stubbornly tell our stories and make some money doing it 
Um, uh, and so we'll just throw out into the universe. If, if you're listening and if you, uh, you know, would like to screen Joseph's films uh, and, and if you're in a position to make an introduction or to perhaps have the stars align so that more people can see it, um, you know, and, and as I started with, I purposely wanted to invite Joseph today um, to, to hopefully give everybody and even myself, remind myself about the complexity of what elections mean, um, and especially when it comes to representing our community. Oftentimes, mainstream media, American media likes to point us as a monolith and saying, the Asian Americans think this way, and they're going to vote this color. Um, and it's not that easy. And, and I think Chosen does a, a wonderful um, wonderful job of, of sharing how complex it is. Um, as we wrap, um, we, we have a signature way that we end the show. Um, it's in the form of a letter um, to the Asian American community, uh, to perhaps in your in, in our situation, to all Asian diaspora around the world who've had so many unique different experiences of uh, being wanted and not wanted and, and how we see ourselves. Um, share with us perhaps some lessons and some perspectives that you've gleaned along the way. And help us close out the show uh, by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. So uh, before I say that, um, uh, I just want to uh, tell you that the, the sentiment is mutual. Um, I expressed earlier that I had 45 screenings before uh, arriving in Korea. And I think roughly 25 of them were set by Jerry, thanks no. to his... Uh, <laughs> LinkedIn blast and very generous <laughs> introduction left and right. Um, he's been one of the strongest champions of uh, my humble cause, my humble storytelling. And I always look up to what you've been able to achieve. I mean, sitting down with VP, I was so vicariously living through your own experience. And I was so happy for you. And uh, yeah, it's great to have a, have a brother like you. And uh, I look forward to a lot more storytellings that, We'll be collectively doing going forward, um, shedding light to stories that deserves to be told, right? Um, that said, dear Asian Americans, uh, please be empowered by your hybrid, complex, dual, multi-identities because uh, that is your strength, that is your story. Um, and first and foremost, by virtue of being Asian American, you're also a member of diaspora of your ancestral home. And I also want you to be empowered by that experience of collective accumulated legacies, uh, sacrifices, uh, and pain that ultimately begot who you are as this innovative, beautiful, creative person. So please be empowered. Thank you. Um, we can't share our stories without the storytellers. And um, I know we host the podcast here and then we try to get some of these interviews on video, but no nothing compares to a documentarian following people, uh, real human beings with cameras and with microphones and capturing uh, the human moments that I think um, help us, uh, as you said, live through the lens of another person's experience. And so I, I, I'm so excited um, for, for what's to come in your career, in your journey. I got to interview the first Asian American vice president in a podcast last week, and I hope that one day you get to make a documentary about the first Korean American president in this country. 
and, and the very many other amazing Korean folks around the world who are, again, doing our ancestors right and trying to make the world a little bit of a better place for, for future generations. And so um, go vote, uh, encourage other people to vote, give a little bit of extra money today if you can to the causes and the candidates you care about. And regardless of what happens today, regardless of who you're pulling for, um, obviously it's not all going to go your way, my way. Continue in the fight and to get invested in how we can build long-term structures of support and communities so that we can perhaps do this again in two years, four years, whatever that may look like. Um, But really, Joseph, thank you so much for making time. It is already election day in Korea in a way, and I just genuinely appreciate you. You know, uh, global events have have given you many, many speed bumps in in your way to um, getting your work out there for many people to see. And and, uh, when it does happen, I know that the, the fruits of your labor will be even that much sweeter. So Thanks so much. Uh, much uh, rest to you and um, glad you're getting to spend some time with your family. And thanks again. I really appreciate you having on. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm always on a listener's end, but uh, uh, thanks for giving me that platform to talk about my own journey. It's been great to, to be on. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Joseph for making time for uh, this conversation. Really, uh, I, I led the interview with this, but uh, Joseph, one of the very few people, men especially, in my life who've made me cry. I've cried watching his first movie, Hieronimo, his second movie, Chosen. And I'm sure whatever he makes the third one around, I'll cry watching that too. And it just humbles me, and it humbled me, to to watch these stories of people who live in the communities that I live in, have similar experiences, and to go out there and make really, really impactful advancements uh, for our community and within our community. And so... Uh, Joseph, thank you so much for making time. I, I wish you all the best. And, you know, he he credits me often and publicly with uh, spearheading and, and sparking the movement to get his film shown on a variety of college campuses and companies. And um, I, I am humbled to do that. I'm pretty sure it's not as um, he said half. I don't think it's half, um, to be honest, but honored to play that role. Um, and so if you are able to invite a Korean filmmaker onto your campus to show Chosen or your company, uh, please do so. Please find some budget within your company and school to compensate him for his work. And we put it out there in the universe in the episode. If you are a entertainment executive wanting to buy the next impactful film within the Asian American community, Chosen would love to be distributed widely as well. Um, it's election day, Patrick. What are you excited for, hopeful for, maybe concerned about? Um, you live in Indianapolis, which is uh, middle of the country. You don't have to tell us who you voted for, but how you voted. But what what are you thinking today? Uh, thinking a lot of stuff. So I voted early um, on the f- this past Friday. So got that out of the way, and I was really encouraged by just the kindness of the people working the polls. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. Uh, I think that's really stuck with me since going. But overall, for the election, you know, I mean, I think I have a lot. I share a lot of concerns with a lot of people, a lot of the people listening of it's just, I'm hoping that people choose to exercise this right to go out and, and use their voice and make a and make a choice that hopefully is resonates with what they believe in and what they want to see happen in this country and in their state. And, you know, at the local level for myself, secretary of state's race is really big right now. Um, 
won't get into it, maybe get into it on my own personal stuff. But, you know, that's that's a that's a race, I think, that's really a microcosm of the larger things that are happening across the country, um, just here in Indianapolis and Indiana specifically, and hoping for a hoping for who I want to win that one to pull it out. But we'll see. Um, I think that's been the really interesting thing I've been following the Indie Star, the local paper here, and seeing their reporting on some precincts and some some voting places have a ton of people and some don't really have so much. So it's interesting to see where the voter turnout is coming from and interested to see what that full picture looks like once this is all over. And so hopeful, uh, as a lot of people are, I hope that things will go the way that we want them to, um, but even more hopeful that people get out and do uh, what they need to do. How about you? How are you feeling? I'm excited. Um, former guest on the show and uh, protagonist of Chosen David Kim is running in California's 34 as a second time candidate. And so I am personally, personally hopeful that he wins, obviously, as a friend and as a supporter. Um, but broadly speaking, I want him in, in positions of influence uh, in, in a position of influence to be able to advocate for all of us. And so um going to be actually uh, attending his hopefully victory party or you know post-election celebration uh, with his team in Koreatown um, Tuesday night tonight so really really excited for that and I, I you know I'll, I'll end with this I think it's really interesting to think about what voting means for so many of us if you are new to this country by way of first or second generation even third generation I bet you most of our parents and grandparents didn't get to vote. And it's because the countries that we come from were not democracies. Maybe some of them are still not democracies. We look at what's around the world today, particularly in uh, places like Iran and other places where people are actually um, dying for the right to express themselves and to vote. We have that here and it's not perfect. And I don't know if it was ever intended to be perfect but we have the opportunity to voice our opinion. And if you're listening to the Asian Americans, you care to a certain degree about making Asian America better. And we're not going to argue or convince you what better means. That's up to you. But make wanting to make it better also includes both the opportunity and the obligation to vote. And so it's midterms. It's not the sexiest thing on the menu, but it does have vast implications on women's rights, um, a whole bunch of other rights that are so important to us. And so think about our parents, think about our grandparents, think about uh, folks back home, family back home who don't get to do what we get to do today. And so, sure, the weather's not great. Sure, the lines may be long. So many different options to vote, particularly if you're in California or New York or other places that allow for mail-in or you know other sort of options. And so genuinely hope that you make... An, an impact today by exercising your right to vote and uh, we'll be back next week with another amazing guest uh, we are so excited to be kicking off our partnership with toyota later in the month uh, later in the year to finish off the year uh, with amazing content and so uh, again this has been an amazing month uh, of for, for our show uh, to everybody who's found this new through the kamala harris episode welcome uh, we hope you stick around we hope you go back and listen to some of the older episodes. Patrick, what episode are you? 64, I believe. 64. Go back to 64. <laughs> and if it's not, just look up Patrick. Patrick Armstrong. Um, 
And uh, you'll realize that that was such a different time in our lives and a different part of Patrick's journey and my journey even too. So I hope you come back to listen. We really appreciate you. Um, Again, big thanks to HHS for uh, their support, their continued support of the Eurasian Americans. Big thanks again to the folks at Genesis USA and particularly to Jaws Wang for their support of our episode last week and to Toyota and to other partners and sponsors who make our job possible. Thanks again. I am your host, Jerry Wan of the Eurasian Americans, along with Patrick Armstrong, our editor and producer. Until next time, please stay healthy, safe, and happy. Goodbye, y'all.